the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Just Add Power, the global leader in video over IP solutions with systems that give you easy installation, unmatched scalability, and outstanding performance. Welcome to Resi Week. In this special episode, we touch on the best stories of 2020. Now, 2020 started out like normal, but well, it didn't end anything like something we've seen before. What else can you say about 2020? This is the year that has been a complete oddity for pretty much every industry, including our own, uh, due to a a massive number of life-changing events and things going on globally. So today we are going to uh, put a little bit of normality back into it and take a look back at some of the biggest stories and biggest events that 2020 had to offer. We start in March, where it was announced that BT Sport and Samsung had partnered together to bring 8K streams of Premier League games this year. Now, 8K is not that new of a development, but in most residential spaces uh, where we were just starting to make 4K a regular commodity, 8K is not at all uh, in March that normal. Now, this was going to be uh, and is one of the first big pushes for 8K content in the Western world. On Resi Week 213, Ron Callis starts off talking about what this means for the ultra resolution space moving forward. The typical home in America is, is getting somewhere right around. And I was actually just reading this white paper last week for a presentation, but Cisco's white paper where they talk about uh, analysis of internet feeds globally, you know, the, the typical home in America, and I'm, I'm not going to quote this fact exactly right, but I, I want to say it's somewhere around maybe 50 megabytes per second or something. Well, mm-hmm. in this story, they're talking about this 48 gigabit stream uh, co- uh, compressed down to 70, 70 megabytes looked yeah. almost identical. They said, if you were right on the screen, you could see a little bit of fuzz on the player's jerseys. I tell you what, 70 megabit per second. I mean, I, in my house, I live in Fort Lauderdale. My community has uh, AT&T fiber feed. Mm-hmm. My house is getting about nine consistently about 900 uh, megabyte per second up and down uh, all day long. Now I'm not a fan of, you know, European soccer, uh, you know, so I, I would not subscribe, <laughs> but if, if the idea that my internet speed was enough and I now could, uh, uh view that. And of course you have to go out and buy that 8k TV. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's good news for our industry. Our industry is always looking for the new exciting technology. And if this vendor and others come online, I'm assuming there'll probably be similar solutions for the upcoming Olympics. Uh, then that's the reason our industry gets to get out and talk about a reason to bug, you know, buy an upgrade into an 8K TV. Without the content, it's hard to make that sale. Yeah. Lewis, I love Ron's point at the end there. Without the content, it's hard to make the sale. We've been watching the manufacturers push next gen, next gen, next gen, right? First 4K came and then 4K HDR came. And then, of course, they started with 8K over the last two years. We've seen it. Uh, I, I've personally seen the upconvert from Samsung in their, 
you know, 4K and then their 8K, which is an upconverted 4K uh, for a regular 4K stream. Seeing this, seeing what's going on, at what point do you start to make the pitch to your clients to at least prepare infrastructure for 8K? Uh, three years ago. <laughs> I mean, honestly. But at the same time, residentially, over the last six months, I haven't sold maybe but three 4K displays. They've all been 8K. Even though there's no content, with the infrastructure, the wiring, like, like you said, 900 meg, I got 600 meg download speed with sudden link cable. And AT&T in Dallas, Fiber, and Frontier, which used to be Verizon Fios, man, they've got gigabit technology. And so a up-converted 4K properly, properly integrated is pretty freaking nice on an 8K Samsung or a Sony. It's beautiful. Hmm. And put them side by side in a regular 4K and an 8K, up-converted 4K on an 8K display, it's amazing. And honestly, the client hasn't bit back one bit, hasn't had one problem spending an extra three to 600 bucks on a beautiful 82 inch. Is that None. just, is that just a nature of it's the new generation? It's what's available or is it a, is it an actual pitch? Well, it's true because it's an actual pitch. And, and as a designer, I, I have to think from a perspective of functionality and upgradability and, and the first and most important thing we teach to our clients is network is king. Mm -hmm. Number two, don't be obsolete. And with an 8K display or with 900 meg or one gig internet coming into the home and proper wiring, I'm, I'm less obsolete than a lot of people. Our next story comes to us from Resi Week 226. We talked about the cancellation of the Cedia Expo 2020. Now, the show was initially supposed to take place in Colorado in September, but ended up going virtual. This news wasn't that big of a bombshell. We all kind of expected it to come. Uh, we had already had several events canceled or postponed or, or had gone virtual, including uh, Infocom in the summer, but it was still a big blow for Emerald Expositions as well as Cedia corporately and uh, the Cedia community as well. Richard Fragosa brings his sage wisdom talking about the impact of this cancellation for our industry. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on it. I mean, I, I first, I think the, the biggest part is that by finally stating, look, this isn't happening, it is allowing everybody to make the decisions to finally, to not have to be, to not be forced into a difficult decision. I know for me personally, I was constantly weighing, given the current environment, the safety, not of me going, but the repercussions of if I came back and if something happened, or if I did get ill when I was, you know, in a different city. I mean, there were, there were real health concerns, whether founded or unfounded, wherever you sit on this end of the discussion. Um, but there were some, some issues for me personally about my desires and what I wanted and, and you know, the, the, my, 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 my want <laughs> versus the need for safety. Um, so that first part by, by, by saying, by Emerald saying, you know, this is done. And again, it was also partially out of their control. It was the state of Colorado said, uh, you know, we're, we're extending, you know, keeping the space open for, for overflow. Uh, and yes, because I'm old. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm not in the, I'm not in the worst case tar target demographic, but I'm getting really close up there. Um, but, but the biggest part and, and the part that, that did hurt and, and what caused me to pause and consider and then talk to my family about it if the show went on, because my wife attends with me and, you know, and the, the, the future goal was for, you know, the family to come as, as well, because, you know, they grown up in it, um, is the ambassadorship, exactly what you're talking about, Matt, a, a big part of, um, you know, kind of the reach one, teach one that was always brought to me when I started and people took me under their wing was when you're starting out, it's, it's who to go to, who to talk to. And, and it's two part. It's being a manufacturer, an ambassador for a manufacturer, somebody, a manufacturer that you care about and bringing dealers and them together. And at the same time, bringing a face of a dealer to a manufacturer that hadn't dealt with them before and, and creating those relationships. And, and CEDA has always been, for me, about those relationships, about an opportunity um, you know, the one time in the year where manufacturers will bring the engineers, they'll bring, uh, you know, the design engineers, they'll bring the sales side, they'll bring, you know, customer service even, you know, where you place that face with a name that you may have had 50 conversations with over the course of the year and, and personalizing an experience. And, and there's a lot to be said about being in this together um, and dealers coming together. I mean, obviously, you know, after 08, you know, I felt that you know, the subsequent expos right after the economic meltdown were important because it was important for dealers to come together and, and after some pretty rough years for a lot of these companies that a lot of them didn't survive, the ones that did survive to be able to come together and say, okay, how, how do we work together collectively and working with manufacturers and, and kind of fighting out of it. Uh, so it's tough. Now, that's not to say that, um, you know, it just stops. And then there are some manufacturers shown that that there is a way to move outside of the traditional trade trade show concept. Uh, and I think that it's out of necessity right now. Um, I think we're going to find out, fortunately, there's going to be a couple of major trade shows before Cedia that are going to give us an idea of what's working and what isn't working. Manufacturers are putting some large scale webinars on right now where, you know, we, we have, you know, Crestron Masters right now has 700 participants, uh, you know, in one of, in, in several of the, the master's classes. I mean, that's, that's no small group to be able to provide, uh, you know, teaching elements for. So we're, unfortunately, we're, we're kind of building the cars, we're driving it down the road. Uh, and, and that's good news and bad news. I think that's when we tend to be our most innovative, uh, when we have no choice, uh, you know, because it, it's just, you got to get it out somewhere. You got to deal with it. And everything that you've been used to has been thrown out the window. So from, for me, you know, and I, I talked about it before we started recording, I, you know, for me, it's about finding out what the manufacturers want to do because it, it poses, you know, again, here we're using the word, uh, the, the word again, unprecedented. It is an unprecedented situation that is forcing everybody to operate completely differently than they thought they would be operating six months ago. Speaking of virtual shows, the Consumer Technology Association, otherwise known as CES, announced all the way back in July that CES 2021 would be an all-digital experience. As we said before, many shows this year were made digital or outright canceled, but in a sense that this would be an off year. Even though ISC 2021 was postponed to June, Mr. Blank Blackman was adamant that there would be a physical presence in Barcelona. From Resi Week episode 235, Joe Whitaker starts off talking about what it meant for the most mainstream consumer technology show to go fully virtual. 
This is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. And and here, here's why. I'm glad you said it first. There's a pandemic, so, just so we're clear. Yes, there is a pandemic. So so on that standpoint, of course, it makes sense. Of course, it's a responsible thing to do um, when we don't know what Q4 is going to look like at all um, as far as a pandemic. And then you've got this huge show that tail ends in the middle of what would be, you know, the, the winter in the middle of the United States, you know, good old beginning of January is, is, is what it is. So you have all these components in it that says, okay, um, this is a smart, responsible idea. However, you look at some of the other trends, you know, you look at Infocom, you look at Cedia Expo, and you're even worried about that in, in how do we normally have 20,000 attendees with a thousand manufacturers and how do we cater that into a virtual experience. So now multiply that by a hundred and now you have CES. I mean, I personally, I haven't been to CES since like 12 or 13. I was doing a headphone gig consultation thing and that was the last time I was there. And even looking at it then, how can you take something that big and spread out with your typical of what the attendees look like and the how many manufacturers there are insane. And how do you convert that to a virtual platform? I mean, it's a great place originally to, you know, you want to find an iPhone case, that's the place to go. They got a whole floor for that. You want to find a, you know, a crappy Bluetooth speaker made by some company that nobody's ever heard of, great place to find it. But then you've got your, you know, your Klipsches and you've got your, you know, all of those big brands like Sony that really pull out all the stops. How are you going to do something that massive of a scale virtually? I don't, I just, just me being honest, I don't see how that is even possible. I mean, you're talking about a hosting platform that I bet you the government doesn't even have one that could, you know, support that many people at one time. Have you seen a congressional thing virtual lately? I mean, those are horrible now. They've got all the money in the world, but you can't do it. Where do I think the power is going to be for CES? Same thing I think about CD Expo. The power is going to be in the hands of the manufacturers. Whatever they pull off within the confines of the box they were given to present, that's going to be the key winning point. There's going to be, I mean, it's, dude, you're right. I mean, it's CES. It's the, the biggest thing in electronics on the planet. How are you going to do that virtually? I wish them the best of luck. I will probably attend some of their stuff just to view it and, you know, see how it turns out. But that's scary. You know, that I don't know what that revenue loss looks like for them either on the business side. That is going to be just every association's feeling it, but they're going to probably feel it the worst. Yeah. yeah. Astronomical. They're, they're, they're going to feel it. Our next segment comes from Resi Week 245. Technically, I wasn't involved in this one because of Canadian Thanksgiving. And yes, that is a real thing. And before you ask, I do take two Thanksgivings because, well, I'm special. And that's what happens when you marry an American. Uh, it was announced in early October that Tabitha O'Connor would be stepping down as global president and CEO of Cedia in January 2021. In a year of unexpected news stories, this was a bit of a bombshell. Tabitha had an 18-year tenure at Cedia and, be and became the CEO uh, in 2017. Heather Sidorowitz starts off talking about where this leads Cedia and the industry as a whole moving forward. When I was brought into the board was the same time that Tabitha was um, brought in as CEO. Um, it's interesting to see that you know she'll end out her term 
Um, it's no secret that there's been a lot of changed players uh, over at the CDA headquarters over the last few years. We've seen a lot of great people find other places to go um, for different reasons. So, you know, it, it, it's a tough place, I think, for, for as an ex-board member to, to say not too much, but still kind of be out there because I try to say what is on my mind. Um, I didn't hear any meanderings either beforehand. And I can't say, no, I, I guess I was surprised. As, where does CD go from here? Um, hopefully onward and upward. I think that this is certainly a time to really think about who CDA is and wants to be when CDA used to be the expo. And then when they sold out the expo, I think there's some struggle for who we want to be and become. Um, and now is a great time to buckle down and figure that out. Well, and, and the one thing I will point out, the fact that, that Tabitha was brought in after the CDA expo was sold. Um, then Bruno, a longtime friend, uh, formerly from Crestron, he was the CEO when it was sold. He also was removed and, and he, before his contract was up and Tabitha was brought in. So it wasn't like this was her idea. She, she inherited that, right? Uh, and so, you know, we can, we can argue about what, you know, what happened after that, but that was the situation that she was brought in on. Henry, and what I'm going to do here, kids, is I'm going to focus on the, the board members and then we'll get the, the future board member on. Uh, we'll speak that into existence, Jason. Uh, Henry, we'll get you your two cents on this, both as somebody who's who sat you know at the board, but also an industry expert here. What do you what do you see the industry going um, from from this change? So just like Heather said, uh, when when I stepped on, it was the day the this, this show was sold, and so I had a chance to to witness Vin as CEO, and then Tabitha assuming assuming the reins. And, and becoming the, the CEO. And my experience firsthand is that CDA, CD employees work harder than any group of employees I've ever seen work in, in, in any other professional arena. Uh, I, I don't think the membership really fully understands just how hard these people work. Tavis's job she is, a, that's a hard job to be CEO of that organization. And I think she led the group through some really important, some really important milestones in, in the transition from this show-based entity into more of a education-based outfit, including, and this is really where I find hope in, in the future is the strategic planning process, which started in 2017 and really is a multi-year process. And we're, we're only starting to see now some of the strategic planning elements start to make their way out into the public right now. So I'm not saying that whoever's next has a paint by numbers recipe to follow by any means, but at the same time, there's been significant groundwork laid for whoever takes the role to, to be able to step in and be fully supported by the board. And, and also I heard when, when I sat on the board, I heard a lot of, of uh, conversation just around the role of the CEO, what it meant. Did, did CEDIA need a CEO? Did it need more of an executive director? Uh, so there, there, there was always this conversation around the role and should it, should the board be 
a governing board, a strategic board? Should it be more involved? Uh, but at the same time too, like Tabitha is an amazing person and uh, man, she worked hard in that role, continues to work hard in that role. So I wish her all the best. Uh, I'm sure that, that they'll find a good, good candidate to, to, to take up the, the position. But my, my feedback, just having witnessed a lot of this firsthand was that that, that is a tough, tough job. And, uh, I think Tabitha should be commended for what she's done. And, uh, and, and I'm gonna pour positive energy into a good candidate uh, stepping into that role in the next few months. Our last story actually ends on a positive note, which is a bit of a rarity for 2020. Sonos reported in November that they had earned over $339 million in revenue during the fourth fiscal quarter of 2020, making it the 15th consecutive year that they've exceeded their expectations. In a year of uncertainty and turmoil for businesses everywhere, this was a sign that there is still uh, quite a lot of life in our market. From Resi Week episode 251, Seth Johnson starts off talking about the circumstances of this record revenue and whether or not this is more than a one-time deal. I think this is a one-off just because of the way this year went. I, I'm not sure where the like the growth isn't isn't really outlined where it came from. They did say that there was a 67% year over year on D to C, and they talked about uh, like direct to consumer. So they talked about how much they are going to be pushing that direct to consumer relationship uh, into 2021. So I'm I, I, I'm not sure if this is like a, a just a, a sign of a weird year. Um, but if you, if you dig deep in the details to see kind of like, did Sonos actually grow? Well, yeah, they, they got under more roofs, um, but they didn't actually increase uh, the number of products that are in each home, like each install. So I'm not, I'm not too sure if this is like uh, signs of things to come or just kind of an interesting fluke of what has been a strange year altogether. Well, they did say that they had 41% of existing customers who purchased and registered new products. Yep. So yep. They, they, did, they did grow their footprint as far as homes they're in to nearly 11 million, but they also grew their existing base, which is an interesting note. Avi, I would, I, I would say the downside of, of this story and of the results are the fact that they've had some fairly massive supply chain issues. Yeah. Now they're not alone. No, um, no, everybody is. Today, I, I I was checking on some product mm -hmm. for a client and just happened to check Best Buy to see what they had in stock for Denon. And they have literally nothing until the $4,000 receiver. They don't have anything available locally or online. They got nada. And with um, KM blowing up, it's going to get worse. Exactly. Yeah. When you When you see this, when you see how well they did and you reference that against the fact that amp uh arc beam has been not too too bad but i know arc and amp specifically mm -hmm. they've been in the neighborhood and all you have to do is check a form mm -hmm. industry or uh general public they've been back ordered anywhere from two weeks to four months they're shipping now in i think december 28th they're hoping to get them back in stock at this right. time sure they are yeah, exactly. And I, and I love it, but yeah, okay. No, I'll not. believe it when I get my shipment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> does does that does that highlight a missed opportunity 
for them? So I, I, I tend to agree with Seth. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Sonos was successful in spite of themselves, not because they planned it. Um, I think that the pandemic certainly helped because if you look at the number, see, we, you talk about growth of footprint. In my opinion, the reason why people added Sonos over the last year is because they've been trapped in their homes for the last nine, 10 months. Mm -hmm. And so they realized, hey, I've got audio in, in this room that I used to hang out in a lot. Now I'm hanging out in all of the rooms. And so I want Sonos in the rest of them because it's what I've already purchased. I'm very concerned for Sonos. I think that the, the new Google Music uh, program that they're rolling out is going to take a big chunk out of their B2C business um, because I think Google and, and the new Apple Mini is going to take a big chunk out of their B2C business. Um, I think they better start hugging their local integrators as soon as possible because Google and Apple, you know, won't hug the integrators. Sonos already has that footprint. They already have a strong following within the integrator community. And if they want to keep themselves afloat, you know, they, they need to like double down on the CDM marketplace. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that it's also indicative of the fact that they're bringing out a, a recurring revenue model or attempting to bring out a recurring revenue model for their, their radio program. Uh, their monthly is, is a last ditch attempt at staying relevant while Apple and Google are clearly nipping at their heels. Um, the, the patent lawsuits are, are, just a distraction. I'm not even sure why they would even bother with that other than to assert themselves prior to the pandemic, not realizing the world was going to come to an end. They knew Google's announcements were going to be sometime in the second, third quarter. And they figured as a public company, they preempted. It. it didn't work, right? Because most of them at this point have been negated. There's still an ongoing battle going on, but you know, they, they, they won a little on one side, they lost a little on the other side. It's not the way to do it, right? You don't, you don't win a market through litigation. You win a market through innovation. So I'm, I'm actually concerned about Sonos's long-term strategy because the pandemic is going to end and it's going to be about innovation and it's going to be about these other companies and their music programs coming out. Uh, I use the term in, in generalities, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're, they're being successful in spite of themselves. There's going to be huge constraint in the high-end audio market for the next 18 to 24 months. AKM blowing up is gonna affect everybody because anybody who was buying AKM has to find an alternative. Anybody who was buying the alternative now has to find an alternative. Epson, Cirrus Logic, TI, they're all on constraint right now. We're seeing it across the board with all of our clients. It's, it's gonna be hell out there. And we were already dealing with a pandemic China that was still trying to play catch up on uh, supply line it's, it's going to, 2021 is going to be murderous trying to get product overseas. Thank you for the bright outlook. Yeah, let's I'm sorry. Racing. That's fantastic. I'm to be realistic. Just going, people listen to this on driving to Thanksgiving, man. What are you doing? <laughs> Just hold on to the wheel. We'll get through this together. Oh, I promise. Avi, uh, Avi, Avi. That's it. We're going to wrap it here. Now, uh, I, I want to thank quite a few people, including all of our guests and all of our listeners uh, for making this happen and, and sticking with us through this whole year. I know it was a, uh, a bit of a long and tough year for everyone involved. I hope, and our, our, our goal here at Resi Week and, and Aviation as a whole was to not let pandemic news, you know, run every week and every show and every episode and, and be the forefront of what was going on. We wanted to hopefully provide some news and and hopefully some some fun commentary as well as uh 
give you some ideas of how to make it through uh, this crazy year that has been 2020. Uh, so first of all, uh, as I said, I want to thank all of our guests who have joined us, uh, our entire team at Aviation, including uh, my producer, Mitchell, who wrote this lovely piece of copy. Uh, and I quote, I'd also like to thank our producer, Mitchell, only because he wrote in the copy that that in the copy that I'm reading right now. Wait a minute. Uh, end quote. But yes, uh, Mitchell has been fantastic in uh, producing this show and, and making uh, hopefully me sound somewhat uh, good and, and, and fun. But again, uh, to, to all of our listeners, all of our guests, all of our supporters and underwriters, uh, I really want to thank all of you for sticking with us this year. This has been, as I mentioned, an entertaining year, uh, but it's it's also been a good year. We, we've seen a lot of really good things come out of this year, and we've seen a lot of camaraderie and, and friendships develop uh, throughout uh, what has become a, a, a very interesting 2020. I'm Matt Scott. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the other verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. We are extremely thankful for our supporters and ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for watching. This is the last show of 2020, and we're looking forward to a fantastic 2021. We hope you'll stay with us. Uh, Resi Week has got a lot of fun things in store. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Thank you.